While petty crimes such as vandalism and pickpocketing are still rare in Singapore, murder is nearly non-existent. A statistical analysis shows that you are nine times more likely to be the victim of a hostile act in the United States than in Singapore. Still, this gruesome unsolved case originates from the Lion City itself. So many details of this case are blurry and can never be proven. Today, let's dive into the case of Ayakanu Maridamutu, the Curry Murder. Ayakanu Maridamutu was an Indian man who moved to Singapore with his wife, Naragata Valley Ramaya, and three children around 1980. The family settled into a modest house behind the Orchard Road Presbyterian Church. Naragata's mother, three brothers, their wives, and his sister-in-law also relocated to Singapore. Because almost all of them worked as caretakers, they were seen as family of caretakers. Ayakanu also served as a caretaker for the Public Utilities Border-run holiday cottages in Changi, Singapore. A caretaker's wage wasn't much, and it certainly wasn't enough to make ends meet. Ayakano's family had been living paycheck to paycheck. He is said to have borrowed money from the church superior for his children's school books. Ayakano and his family were clearly struggling financially. Naragata worked part-time while taking care of her children when her husband worked. Naragata did not have a happy marriage with Ayakano. He was a violent man. According to church members and neighbors, Ayakano enjoyed drinking and frequently hit his wife while intoxicated. Because of the violence, Naragata regularly fled with her children to her mother's or brother's place. Unfortunately, divorce was not an option for her. Due to financial constraints and Asian moral prejudice, she had no choice but to stay with him. After each violent outburst, Ayakano would ask for forgiveness and urge her to return home. One day, Naragata filed a missing persons report for her husband at Juchiat police station on December 18, 1983. She claimed that Ayakano set out to gamble at Genting Casino in Malaysia on December 12, but it had been days since the last time she saw him and her husband had still not returned home. She was unable to contact him, so she requested assistance from the police. Since Ayakano was a grown man, the police did not raise any suspicions at first. It would not be alarming if he got up and left to do his own thing at Chanting. Interestingly enough, Naragata did not return to check for updates on her husband after filing the report. His disappearance was forgotten. Years later, the situation became increasingly bizarre. On January 9, 1987, an informant arrived at the police station and gave an unusual report. This individual informed Detective Alagamalai that he had a tip about a possible murder. According to the informant, he was drinking in a bar one night when he overheard someone boasting about murdering someone. According to him, the man boasted of murdering Ayakanu, dismembering him, and turning him into curry. Alagamalai was skeptical of the unusual account, but reported it to his superiors in the Crime Investigation Department. 
Alagamalai began his investigation. He combed through the material regarding Ayakanu and discovered the missing persons report his wife had made. Naragata had never inquired for any information about her spouse again after the report was made, which puzzled him. Naragata, together with her three children, worked as a caregiver at a church on Racecourse Road. Detective Alagamalai approached her and inquired about her husband. Naragata stated that she had indeed filed the missing persons report, but had not learned anything further regarding her husband's whereabouts. That was all she could offer him. Further research revealed that Ayakanu had never traveled to Malaysia at all. There was no evidence of Ayakanu purchasing a plane ticket or boarding the plane. Ayakanu's employer stated that he applied for leave on December 21st of that year, but his wife claimed that he left the country to gamble in Malaysia on December 12th. If he did flee, why did he choose to depart so soon? The story didn't line up, and suspicion grew. The investigation went on for two months. Detective Alagamalai spoke with and acquired information from 30 people during this time. He looked into Ayakanu's connection with his wife and discovered the marriage had a history of domestic violence. He also discovered that Naragata's brother had been convicted of robbery and served time in prison years earlier. When he discovered that one of her brothers was a butcher, he was certain he had solved the case. Finally, on March 23, 1987, the Singapore Crime Investigation Department launched an operation to apprehend the murder suspects. The operation was carried out in the early hours of the morning. Police were divided into teams and instructed to surround several areas where they suspected the perpetrators lived. It's not surprising that Naragata, her brothers, mother and sister-in-law all vehemently denied the gruesome allegations throughout the interrogation. They stated that Ayakanu fled voluntarily and they had never seen or heard from him again. They found it appalling that they were accused of murder. The police didn't give up. They finally made progress after questioning them non-stop for two days. One of Naragata's brothers admitted to the heinous crime. It was argued whether the confession was true or not, but we'll get to that later. He revealed disturbing facts about what happened to Ayakanu on that fatal day. On December 12, 1984, in their house, the brothers and Ayakanu were very intoxicated. They had a fight, which was probably about Ayakanu's treatment of Naragata. The argument turned into a physical brawl. During this confrontation, they bludgeoned Ayakanu with an iron rod, killing him instantly. Then they brought the body to the kitchen and butchered him. They cooked the flesh in a curry with spices, and after they finished cooking, they placed the remains, which included cracked parts of skull and bones, in black plastic bags. These bags were subsequently discarded in a number of roadside trash cans. Naragata and her brothers were accused of killing Ayakanu on March 27, 1987. The next day, her mother and sister-in-law were also arrested. These individuals were taken to court. The judicial proceedings were brief. It was said that it lasted less than 30 minutes before being called off. 
Judge Sainal Abidin acquitted all six accused, ruling that the case was based only on hearsay. There was no evidence of a murder weapon or even a pot that may have been used to boil the remains. It was only reasonable to drop the charges because there was so little evidence to pursue the individuals. All six of them were released on the same day. Nargatha's three brothers were later rearrested and detained at Changi Prison till the 21st of June 1991, when they were released unconditionally. CID Assistant Commissioner Jagjit Singh called this case one of the most bizarre and horrifying murder cases ever investigated by the police. He lamented the fact that there was no evidence or weapons to indicate the crime. He was particularly disturbed by how the body was disposed of. The shocking circumstances of the case stunned the public. This case was adapted into a drama series called Dr. Justice in 1995 and covered in the Straight Times newspaper as Curry Murder. This did not sit well with the Naragatha family, who sued the media outlet for defamation. They claimed that the media suggested they were guilty of the murder. The court dismissed the suit since the media only reported on the police's factual findings. Because this case was never resolved, the public developed numerous theories about what had really happened. Some thought Naragata had always been truthful regarding Ayakanu's trip to Malaysia. Either the authorities made a mistake during the inquiry and overlooked Ayakanu's information, or Ayakanu boarded an illicit mode of transportation. In any case, it was widely assumed that Ayakanu had abandoned his family and begun a new life somewhere under an alias that could not be traced. The second hypothesis holds that the informant was correct and that Ayakanu had been cooked in curry years earlier. They argue that Naragata's family was furious that she was continually beaten for years by her husband. Her brothers beat Ayakanu to death and carried him back to the church's kitchen enraged. Ayakanu was diced up, seasoned, and served in curry in an attempt to get rid of his body. Some even believe that curry cooked with his body parts was served to churchgoers. There were rumors that some people had eaten a bit of curry from the church that was distributed in the area a few years back, which tasted strange. The flesh tasted and looked nothing like any other meat, and the bones were also unlike any animal bones they had ever seen. However, this cannot be proven. The third theory, on the other hand, rejects both preceding theories. Some people questioned the legitimacy of the brothers' confession during the interrogation and believed that this case was a hoax that was widely disseminated. Perhaps the brothers took it too far with a joke in the bar that night, startling the informant and forcing him to flee to the police station in terror. There was, after all, no body, no murder weapon, and no proof to indicate the crime ever took place. The fate of Ayakanu can never be concluded with certainty. This gruesome case is currently known as the Singapore Curry Murder and remains unsolved. Online discussions about this case always baffle people, mostly about the fact that the possible perpetrators are roaming free to this day. Has Ayakano been murdered by Naragata's family? Or has he run away and abandoned his family? Was the curry some people claim to have tasted 
actually made of human meat? Or was it just ingredients gone bad? What is certain, however, is that the truth of Ayakano's disappearance may never be uncovered. That's all for today. Thanks for watching.